So, Tony, I never start a podcast like this. And when I say never, I mean literally I don't think I ever have before. We don't do introductions, but on this occasion, I'm going to book the trend a little bit. So, Tony, you're somebody who is obviously partnered with EXP, but long before that was on the radar, you was on my radar. I'd watched you for a while. We've been connected for a little bit. I'd studied your content long before that. And you're someone that I kind of looked at in the traditional world, if we can use that term. He was doing absolutely everything bang on right what I believe a business owner should be doing in the modern world, only he wasn't a business owner. So I always admired the content. I admired the hustle. I admired the consistency and really admired the output. So to have you on the podcast now is brilliant. I'm properly looking forward to learning more about your background and your transition from where you started to where you are today. So without further ado, Tony, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for making the time. Well, Ben, that's uh, quite an introduction. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I always remember one of the first conversations I think we had, I think you'd sort of mentioned to Adam Day that uh, there's this guy, but I think he's got his own business, therefore he's probably not fit for for, for EXP. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like I couldn't, I was absolutely shocked when um, I found out that the business wasn't yours, but what an incredible asset you must have been to your previous employer. I can imagine it was a dark day when you finally handed in that notice. But before we get into any of that, Tony, if I can just put you on the spot for a second for the benefit of anyone who's tuning into the podcast that maybe isn't familiar with who you are, if you could just give me a, a couple of minutes debrief on who you are, where you're based and all that kind of good stuff, that'd be brilliant. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm based in the south part of Lincolnshire, so uh, the proper centre of the university is Grantham. Um, you know, quite a it's a busy market town. There's plenty going on. It's a great beacon for families. I've worked in the area for a long time. Um, you know, first job was 16 years old, working at local Morrison's 30 odd years ago. Um, been in this state agency now for what will be 17 months, 17 years. Sorry, next month. And uh, that started really with, um, I suppose I was in a position in my, in my life where I probably didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I was probably sort of coming towards my late uh, 20s and sort of still not really sure what life was all about for me. Um, you know, making some bad decisions there, saying various other things and you know, going from job to job. And I say job to job, sort of every year or two, sort of having a bit of a change in direction because I think I was still trying to find what I was settling for. And I got to a point where I thought, you know what, I really really would like to have a look at property and, and estate agency in particular and um, so at the time I wrote uh, letters to 10 agents who were sort of in my close proximity uh, only one of them came back to me and sort of said let's sit down and have a chat the other the other eight or nine didn't bother responding or one did uh, but six months after I started in the estate agency saying they didn't think I was a perfect fit for them um, and lo and behold uh, I'm now speaking to that person about joining us at EXP. Um, so it's funny how the world moves, isn't it? Uh, but obviously I was new to the industry. I'd never done anything. I'd always believed that you know, to be an estate agent, you needed you know, a university education and God knows what else. And um, I, I sort of worked my way in, in a regional, um, quite a large regional independent in our area. Uh, they had offices across Lincolnshire and I worked in various different branches and um, an opportunity came up to become a valuer. Um, I was only six months in, so still probably pretty green behind the ears, if you like. But but uh, I was probably the most uh, mature in age in, in the office that was uh, looking for this particular valuer. It was a third valuer, so there, there was two sort of, well, three full-time valuers in this particular office. And they used to list about 120 a month and sell about 100 to 120 as well. Um, so I was given that opportunity, really enjoyed it, then given an opportunity to go into my own branch and be the only valuer there in my own uh, town that I worked uh, lived in as well. Um, and that worked out well. But then, of course, the market crashed in sort of 2008 time, all the signs were there in 2007. Um, I was then sort of 
pushed into the rental department. The rental department had been a bit of a laughing stock for many years because it never really made any money. But of course, it was part of the overall package this particular agency is offering. Um, we started to turn a bit of profit in there. But as the market got harder, sales market that was, um, they ended up basically taking my role. And, and I was looking after sort of South Lincolnshire area, which is Grant from Sleaford, Boston. Uh, and they basically gave those responsibilities to the residential valuer in those particular offices rather than having a lettings specialist, if you like, covering that zone. Uh, and I sort of had a conversation with one of the junior partners at the time. They sort of made this decision and they pushed me on to the Lincoln office and said, I think I need to be worried about my position, don't I? And his exact words were, Tony, you never need to worry about your position with us. And four weeks later on a Friday at 5 p.m., 25th of November, 2011, he's what, sorry, 2010, he's wandering into the office uh, to, to give me my redundancy. So that was a bit of a you know, kick in the teeth, kick in the balls, you know, it was like the darkest day of my life at that moment in time. I remember the drive home being angry and upset and in tears and God knows what else. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to go and work for a, a corporate agent for two years and it was kind of deceptive. You know, I was coming towards December, I kind of had, I suppose, really enough money to get by till probably payday at the end of January. So I needed to get something in place really for January. I ended up working in a corporate for two years, which was you know, great grounding as well. I've sort of done the regional independent, very traditional in their approach. Um, probably sort of had a, a 1980s feel about their style, if you like, in the way they went about doing things. Um, but the corporate thing, again, gave me a good grounding, gave me a good sort of basis for understanding the, the business in a different way. Um, and uh, yeah, it was two years that I wouldn't change. I wouldn't rush back, let me put it that way. You know, it was very numbers orientated. I was never a fan of people being in tears in morning meetings because they haven't hit a mortgage appointment number or they haven't made enough phone calls and written it down on a sheet properly. You know, for me, it just didn't feel quite right, didn't fit with what I was all about. Um, and then an opportunity came up to go and work for what at the time was Grantham's biggest estate agent, or still is, um, which is Newson Fallowell. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're a franchise business in the main, but their Grantham office is owned by, or was owned by the family at the time, by the Newson family. And they'd sort of come towards me and said, look, can we do something and can we have a chat? And we did. And nine years later, you know, things changed there as well. So they went from being a family-owned business into being a corporate-owned business, I guess. They were bought by the Beaver Group probably four or five years ago. Um, there was obviously you know, not massive changes, but the people were very steady. There'd been a lot of experience within that office for many years. So it was a great place to work and great people. No two ways about it. Uh, again, it, it gave me a platform though, because you, you know, I was looking then for innovative ways to get out to more valuations and not just looking at um, you know, what was in the diary and what have we got to do today? You know, What else can we do to get out to more valuations? So about six or seven years ago, I started dabbling with a bit of video and wanted to be somebody at the forefront of doing so in our local area so that you weren't the person who was following, but the person who was kind of setting the trend. Um, and what I soon realised on the back of doing that is yes, more people were aware of you and the company, more people were then having us out for valuations, more listings were then coming on the back of it. Um, and it kind of just became this, this, this brilliant way of talking to thousands of people without investing a huge amount of time or money. Absolutely. One thing I just want to double back on very quickly. I was going to ask you, but you kind of answered the question and preempted it before I could. I was going to ask, did you fall into agency or did you, you know, see a career path? And it sounds like you was very deliberate and intentional in trying to pursue a career in property. Coming in towards your late twenties, early thirties at that point, what was it that drew you into the industry? Because I'm guessing it probably wasn't the money. Well, no, I, I, do you know, it was probably a general curiosity. I remember, you know, Growing up from a, a guy who I'm still friends with now, and he'd, he'd live you know, a couple of doors. He was a few years older than me at school, but we used to football down the park together on an evening and a weekend and stuff. Um, I remember him sort of rolling home. I was like a couple of years younger, so I remember him rolling home at lunchtimes in a 
quite a nice looking car and you're thinking well what's he do for a living then and, and, and I'd established I was probably only 15 16 at the time so that probably set a seed quite early dare I say um, but like I said never really sort of knew what I wanted to do in life didn't do particularly well at school I left with two C's four D's and two E's I think my problem was that I from a schooling perspective I um, I thoroughly believed that I was going to follow a different pathway in terms of sporting professionalism and it didn't happen and I think then you get to the sort of age of 14, 15 where you think Do you know what I have to knuckle down and work a bit harder. But what was the sport on? Football. You know, football I, you was know, it? Right, right, right. In my mind that was, that was all it was ever going to be but it you know, didn't work out that way and, and maybe I had you know these grand dreams that people believe in but you know nothing is more important than your education. Um, so I then spent three years at college after school. I what I did for the last year at school was work damn hard and improved the overall picture, but it, the damage had already done because it was like a two-year assessment course at school. So, um, yeah, then I went and you know, did college for three years, um, really just to sort of reinforce my, my qualifications and did business and finance. And actually, bizarrely, I mentioned Craig Stevens. Obviously, I watched his uh, podcast with you the other day. He mentioned travel, and I did travel and tourism as well, uh, probably thinking that was some sort of, you know, golden-lined career, uh, but it isn't. Um, and, yeah, I worked at Morrison's, and Morrison's kind of, you know, as a student was great because it gave me a good grounding of understanding, you know, working hard to earn money. I was paying for myself to get through college and various other things. Uh, but they also offered me an opportunity once I finished at college to go on to, like, a management trainee course, which was great, and I had a great time. And but it was a lot of, lot of hard work, a lot of hours, eight grand a year at the time, you know, which is not a lot of money even then. Um, I know it's not a lot of money now. Um, and and I, I sort of went into retail sales and I worked at Curry's for six, seven years, which was really enjoyable as well. Great people, opened a branch in Grantham, did a bit of sort of traveling around across all, all corners of the country, really merchandising stores uh, and made my way up to deputy manager one in a branch there, which was again, really enjoyable, but they had ambitions on changing the workflow and the structure and getting you to work every Saturday and Sunday and giving you a couple of days off in the week. And again, as a young man, playing football and stuff like that on the weekend didn't really fit in with my what I wanted out of life so made made a change Fair enough mate and uh, you sort of mentioned there that when you uh, kind of came out of the corporate world and you found yourself at uh, Newton Valloa you said I wanted to do more broaden the net get in front of more customers you know fill the diary up with valuations that weren't just the ones that were kind of taking care of themselves it's an interesting mindset Tony because often when people uh, have the comfort blanket of a salary and they're paid to do a role which in your case was go out value properties bring them on people aren't always proactive or forward thinking about trying to grow a brand that they don't own so where did that um, ethic I guess come from in the case of you was it just that you had incredible leadership and they inspired you to want to grow the business or is it something inherently in you where you wanted to I don't know, you could see that as a new challenge or did you have the foresight to view this as the future and you were trying to build the Tony Ruby brand even back then? What was it? Was it accident? Was it judgment? Because that's quite a unique thing for an employee to do. You don't see it that often. No, um, I suppose it's a mixture of various things. I mean, one thing, you know, I was proud of where I worked categorically. When I worked in that corporate office, you know, I'd have to walk past that particular office of Newton Fellowell every time I was walking to my car to go out to valuations. And you always walk past thinking, if I could work there, if I could work anywhere, it would be there. Um, and I suppose once you're in that role, <clears throat> you kind of look at it and think, well, okay, to make this branch more successful, we need to get out. Some, you know, it's a simple thing, isn't it? More valuations generally means more listings. More listings tends to mean more sales and more revenue at the other end. 
I wasn't incentivized heavily financially. You know, there was a, a small amount of three percent commission on exchange or com completion, should I say, um, which was you know, probably the same as what most negotiators. I don't know. We didn't talk about money in the office. Um, I was given an incentive to list properties, but not massive. So it's not like it was going to change my pay packet dramatically at the end of the following month if we to a certain number. But it had an impact. You know, and for me, it was about. I'd recognise the guy I worked for as a guy called Mark Newton, you know, hugely experienced in the industry, had set up Newton Fellow in the very late 90s, before that had worked in the local area, was well known by everybody, he'd walked down the high, if you're ever looking to go for a coffee with him, he'd walk down the high street, everybody knew who he was, and you're thinking, okay, so he's kind of clearly over the years found a way to become known by people for doing what he does, and I suppose there was an element of sort of thinking, okay, well if I can become known by people for doing what we do, and that's collectively as a team, uh, then there is an opportunity perhaps to be able to you know, get into the mindset of people. And I think it was also this, you know, you kind of have, let's say you have somebody in a house for 15 or 20 years, and you know, the, the point at which they're looking to call out estate agents to have it valued when that house has done its job is probably a window of two or three days. It's probably not much more than that, I wouldn't have thought. Um, so, you know, how do you become sort of a seed planted in their mind? Because I haven't moved for 15 or 20 years. How do you become that seed that, that could sprout somewhere? And in my mind, just talking to the local community via the powers of social media would perhaps give me a greater chance of doing so. Um, and I think it was kind of born from there, really. And, and you know, there's other things going on. We had a, um, a system come in at the office, which was brilliant. It was actually powered by Richard Rawlings, I think, used to run it. It was called Vox, Vox and a Bomb Bomb. Uh, it was like basically a video um, messaging service. So you could sit on your computer and record a message using your phone. You could then upload it onto this particular platform. You could email it out to the person, um, and you could do a you know if you've only seen one of the decision makers on evaluation and you need to speak to two of them, it was a great way to deliver a two, three, four minute message long about what your thoughts are, uh, and allows them to put a face to a name. And and again, that was really really sort of proving popular. You could see when people were opening it and playing it, and it was a great way to be able to sort of like a finish off the valuation cycle before you start the sort of the process of following up. Um, so, so I and also recognise that when I took my car in for service, I'd get a video from them, basically showing me what was wrong with it and how much it's going to cost, and this tire's a bit low on the inside tread and all that sort of stuff. And you're thinking, well, if they can utilise video to to sort of connect with their customers in a better way, you know, a more transparent way, and and I think the great thing about video is it, you know, provided you're not game show hosty, and I've tried that, um, provided you're sort of yourself, I think it also provides sort of again steal your thunder a bit here provides a natural filter people get to know a little bit about you they perhaps get to know you a little bit like you a little bit and maybe even trust you and before you get to the house that's quite an advantage over other agents that would, would might also be going out no 100 percent. i couldn't agree more and it is it's exactly that a filter you want the good clients you don't really want the headache clients and it's a good way of separating the two before you've even you know got in front of them and sat in the living room and and, and, and cracked open the kettle and um, that's interesting, though, because we take for granted, you know, we sat here today in 2023 having this conversation, uh, you know, video is more prominent across EXP, but across the industry as a whole, you know, more agents are starting to embrace it. Kind of think of it like a floor plan. It wasn't that long ago that a floor plan was a nice to have, you know, a decent additional extra. Now it's a complete non-negotiable. Buyers and sellers expect it. Video, I guess we're still kind of in that point where it's a nice to have. It's not necessarily expected, but it is becoming more common. And probably in a few years' time, it will be a non-negotiable. But certainly six, seven, eight years ago, when you started doing video, it was alien. Like alien. It would have been very different to put yourself out there and, you know, brave the camera, if you like. So yeah. you said you, you kind of quite 
breezily explained then a mindset that I can understand today, but I wouldn't have understood it a decade ago. So did you connect those dots for yourself or was somebody kind of encouraging you to take those steps and to embrace the world of social media all those years ago? For me, it was probably a, a, a again, a mixture of various things. So I, I certainly sort of recognised what the, I suppose, the, the problem was and what's the possible solution. This, this is, could be a pro- probable solution. And I think the, the problem is with marketing full stop is you can spend 100 quid on five different campaigns, £20 a campaign. You don't always know which £20 working. So then you keep on spending the £100. But actually what you should do is take that £20 and make it a £100 budget for that one particular campaign. Um, what this was... It gave some clear metrics. You would find people would welcome you at the door as if they knew you. Um, you'd walk down the high street and people would say hello. And, and I genuinely mean this, you know, people saying hello who I, I don't think I recognise or know. Um, so it kind of started breaking down some of those barriers, I guess, and gets you known for what you're doing. Um, I think coming on to, you know, other influences at the time, um, it was probably, it was before I knew a guy who we all know called Chris Watkin. Uh, I think Adam was on his sofa recently, uh, again in Grantham. And, you know, he, I did the first couple of videos and I remember him bowling into the office. I'd never met him before. And he just sort of said to me, Tony, I love what you're trying to do. Just keep on doing it. And, and that was kind of it. It was, as, it was as simple and succinct as that, but he bowled in as bold as brass. And like I said, never, didn't even know who the guy was. Um, so, so yeah, I think again, you sort of see, and I've followed him a little bit on socials. Um, I kind of seen some of the stuff he was doing, but it, again, he wasn't as prevalent with video content on his YouTube channel as he is now. Um, so yeah, I think it was a multitude of different things, but I think once I could start seeing, when I went out to the pub one night, and I remember walking into Royal Oak, um, or Checkers, should I say, in Grantham, and uh, you know, getting chatting to whoever was in there, they sort, of, they sort of said, oh, I'd seen that video you've done recently. I'm thinking, bloody hell, right, okay, this really does work. You know, I'd never met them before, but maybe yeah. that conversation was born on the fact of just doing that one video at that time. And the first yeah. one was terrible, Ben. The first one was shocking. You know, it was windy. It was a lovely house on a really great spot. And, you know, it was it's something we sold and we'd happen to sell a couple around it. And But it was windy. You couldn't hear the, 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 um, you couldn't hear the audio very well outside. It was okay when you got inside. I remember chasing, literally chasing the vendors around the house as I'm moving around from sort of the kitchen into the lounge, into the dining room, and they're literally scurrying everywhere. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was like chasing rats around or so. It was bizarre. But I just sort of said to them, I said, look, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm just going to try something. I'm just going to give it a go. Um, and if they'd said, no, you can't, then that's fine. I wouldn't have done it. But I'd have found another house to do it on without a doubt. Um, but I think it became evident, you know, soon after that, when you start looking at the play numbers and God knows what else, the comments, the shares, you start thinking, well, this is actually really quite sensible because I think as agents, we naturally swing towards expecting Rightmove and Zoopla to do the job or our database to do the job. But actually the basis of, an, of, of selling anything is about telling as many people as possible. And, and what better way to do so, especially when you can then extend that further and you can go not just from your own personal profile, but you can go to your company profile, you can go to all the local Facebook village groups and community groups. And you can then even, if you want to, sort of start paying for advertising which is specific and targeted and actually can be quite specific on the demographics you're picking the audience for as well it's a simple way to do things and, and I think I didn't want to be the agent who was I suppose second place entering that frame really in the area I wanted to be the person who was kind of leading the way but you do have to be relentless with it you can't you can't pick it up do it expect the phone to ring off the hook and then give it up you know you've got to keep on doing it doing it doing it it's and i think that's the problem with some agencies they kind of don't see the immediate returns um you've got to keep on those days you don't want to you just got to do it those days you can't be bothered you just got to do it yeah 
yeah, it takes a long time to um, to kind of show any uh, fruits of the labour. I guess you, you've got to lay a lot of seeds before before you see the green shoots. And um, when we talk about people not finding consistency, I, I, I dare say that an even larger percentage of people don't find the bravery to begin with. So. When you was kind of going into this, again, I, I take people back and I emphasize and underscore the point six, seven, eight years ago, when it probably would have been even more scary because it was even more out of the norm than what it is today. How scary was it getting on the camera for the first time? Did you feel those fears and those hesitancies? Or did you feel like you was going to get laughed or judged or get nasty comments? Or was you just like, you know what, I'm going to do this, caution to the wind, whatever, I'm, I'm going to move forward? Yeah, I think I think the caution to the wind was there. Definitely, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's all those things going on in the back of your mind. I remember waking up one morning. Um, it was a Sunday morning and looking at some property I'd marketed just like this, and somebody a vile comment, an absolutely vile comment, and it not not stuffing at me to the point where you know, they didn't realise what they were doing. They were probably, excuse my language, pissed up on the Saturday night, and you know they used the c word. And it's like Christ, this is a bit. Yeah, yeah. But what I soon discovered was there's a delete button, there's a block button, and there's a essentially fuck you see you later button as well if you want it to be um, so I, I just kind of i suppose you have to be a little bit skin there's, there's very rarely anything negative that's posted very very rarely um there was a few who kind of ended up i suppose you know taking the piss tagging the mates in it and all this sort of stuff but bizarrely we ended up then i suppose forming some sort of friendship or bond over these things and, and they would kind of end up again in my mind it's like well they keep commenting they keep liking they keep tagging whatever just expands your audience even further. So dare I say it was actually working to our advantage at that time. But I think I went into it knowing full well that you know social media could be a cruel place. Um, but I also knew there was you know, ways to you know, eradicate these people from your lives. You just got to kind of get on with it and let see what's... There was more good to come from it than bad. You could have nice, nice comments. Or yeah. you could have one shitty comment. And it's just how you deal with that shitty comment rather than 99 good ones. Because you don't remember the good ones. You only remember yeah. the bad ones. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true, mate. And, you know, it's interesting, obviously, I, I gave you a slightly loaded question there in terms of focusing on maybe the fears that you might have had going into it. So naturally, you came back to, to highlight the negatives. But it is worth pointing out that they are so few and far between. There's far more, you know, nicer, supportive, happy people in the world, or frankly, people who are just indifferent than there are people that are outwardly going out the way to be negative. So I get it feels scary. It's different by definition. Whenever you're stepping out your comfort zone, it's never going to be comfortable. That's the whole point. But these things are rarely as bad in reality as what we build them up to be in our own head. Um, so, Tony, kind of fast forwarding uh, many, many years from when you first started to where we are today, there became a point in time where clearly you must have noticed, you know what, I'm driving a lot of business for the company that I'm working for. And I'm sure you were happy to do so. That's why you started and more money for them meant more commission for you. So that was creating a real win-win for everyone, but probably most of all your employer. Was it this is what I'm really keen to work out, and this is one thing that I've never asked you in private, so I'm not too sure what your stance is on this. As you started to get aggressive and consistent with the strategy, was it a long-term vision of, okay, so one day I'm going to branch out and this is the plan, or did the outcome come as a result of the actions that you took? So was it was it luck or judgment that you've created this incredible brand for yourself uh, in Grand Thim, I guess is the question. It was very much luck, I dare say, Ben. Like I said, the, the initial motive and driving force was about getting out. So I always looked at where I worked as, as, as I owned it. You know, I kind of I tried to, you know, take ownership of my job and and do what I was paid to do and do it as you know. I, and I loved it. You know, I loved 
I looked to finish in the year and we'd listed twice as many as agent number two. I looked, the, you know, being at the end of the year and we've sold twice. Competitive aspects. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's that sporting thing I get there. So, you know, yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that's the footballer coming out here. <laughs> losing anything. If you, can, if you can do something to influence the eventual outcome, I, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, there's some things which are out of your control in life. But generally, if I can do something to influence the eventual outcome positively, I'll, I'll endeavour to do so. Um, but I think you, you kind of look at... Um, I don't know, you, 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 what became evident to me over time was that people would then get directly in touch um, and they would say, Tony, I just want to get my house value. Tony, I want to put my house on the market. It kind of, and it became clear to me that there was competition was removed. There was kind of like, you, there was nobody else going out, just you. Um, that became less of a barrier when it came to fees and God knows what else as well. So it kind of had more byproducts to it than I really expected to when I first set out doing it. That is a categoric fact. I suppose lockdown was um, an interesting period for a lot of people in different ways, and some good, some bad. But it, I'd been working in my mind on a on a notepad, not too dissimilar to this sort of thing here, you know, for, for ages about my strategy and plan of when I was going to do this from my thick, my own, because you know I knew that EXP had come into the country in November nineteen. I'd watched with great interest people like yourself and Scott and Mark Bentley and Joe Wright, you know, the early adopters, if you like, those who were brave enough to jump on something very new. And, um, and dare I say, but I'm in personal circumstances, by the time first COVID hit had come around, I would have been on board as well. Um, but I knew what I wanted to do. I had a few personal ducks to get in a row. But when we were put onto furlough, um, I wasn't allowed to do anything property-wise. I was, you know, you weren't allowed to. We, you, you know, the government were paying you money, but you weren't allowed to work. Um, so I did some stuff which was community-based about businesses and everything else. That went down really well. Um, and I came back to work in May 2020. Uh, after furlough and, and there was loads of people getting directly in touch saying oh, I'm, I'm on the market with X but I want you to sell my house can you, you know, I've given them notice or you know there was like the May or June time I remember getting five or six direct instructions into my Facebook inbox and you're thinking well, okay they've not even bothered contacting the office or they might have tried but they couldn't get through for whatever reason so they've ended up coming back to you and and, and for me it sort of proved that what you'd been doing in the past had actually built a foundation for something that I probably needed to either then carry on plowing the furrow I was in at the time or or trying it for myself you know 47 now you you sort of leave it another two three four five years and either you're, you're two three four five years older or you don't get the chance to do it and you end up sticking where you are I, like i said i never dis uh, dislike my job i never dislike the people i worked with. i love the company i worked for i love the people at the top particularly um but i was very clear with them about 12 months beforehand of what my plan was and what i wanted to do in terms of um you know, personal ambitions, I suppose, in terms of income and various other things, and it was never going to be sustainable or, or possible in the job I was in. Um, so I decided to sort of go at it and, and sort of think, well, here's, here's what I've got, to, I've got to get these, these ducks in a row, get these ducks in a row, and I can then sort of free to do what I want. And the worst thing in my mind was, doesn't work, I've got to go back and get a job. You know, and, and maybe what you've done before will carry you some way towards getting a job should an opportunity exist. So for me, it was like, you know, yeah, it was, it was. But completely by chance, completely by chance. But the byproduct of it was so many different things. Um, and, and moving on from that, with the videos through the community videos through the sort of lockdown period, you know, the first few of those again were like this: a Zoom call, really. They were probably too long. They weren't particularly engaging. But nobody had anything else to do, did they? So they were watching content galore on Netflix or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, or whatever. And you're thinking, well, and, and people then start getting in touch asking, could they have one done for their own business? You're thinking, yeah, of course, no problem at all. What does it cost me? Nothing. Just want a bit of your time, if that's all right. A bit like this. Um, and it just lifted the lid on their business a little bit, and it sort of exposed them to a local audience. And that snowballed even further. I then started getting charities getting in touch and events getting in touch, saying, could I help them promote it? Somebody's got a, 
uh, an art exhibition at the local guild hall at the moment. They've been waiting 30 years to get this opportunity to have an art exhibition at this particular guild hall. And they did a, a, a social post the other day and they tagged in at the Grantham Journal, which is our local press. Grantham Matters, which is a sort of a online local press. And Tony Ruby, personal estate agent. You know, it's kind of like they're tagging that. It's like, hold on a minute. So now people see you Fraser. on the slides and they're tagging you along. So, yeah, there's only three tags and I was, it was bizarre. But Fraser. Yeah, really snowballed, really snowballed, and um, but that was never the intention at the outset. It's always been done with the, I don't know, the, the lack of expectancy to receive back. It was just done with the, ex, you know, sort of the, the aspect of giving. Them so something. that's great, mate. And I think when you do it with your heart in the right place, and when you're doing it for the right reasons, like ironically, all the selfish benefits that you get as a byproduct come regardless. But when you've just got focus and meaning to improve someone's life, improve someone's business, do the right thing, embed yourself in the community, everything else kind of filters on from that. Tell me, when you did make that, and I'm sure it was a difficult transition because I know you had a great relationship with the people that you work with and you're very much left on a handshake. Um, when you did set up your business and when you did announce yourself to the world and when those big bright pink boards came into all of our lives and uh, you started to really build something for yourself, Talk me through, what did those first four weeks look like? Well, uh, interesting really, because I've kind of, um, I've given them a notice on the 17th of March 21, I had a three month notice period to service, the 17th of June was my last contracted day, therefore in my mind the 18th of June was when I was going to be up and running. I worked for the 10 weeks of the 13, um, and I had three weeks holiday to take, which I'd accumulated over time, so um, sort of by the end of May I'd kind of finished work, and I was then sort of but I've been working on the business in the background for ages. You know, I've been designing boards, I've been doing this, that, and the other sort of almost, you know, marketing pieces and various other bits. Um, so a lot of the ground- the exciting bits. <laughs> yeah, all the groundwork had kind of been done really. It was, it was good to go, it was ready to come out of the box. And that meant on the 17th of June, which was my last contracted day, I suppose, technically at six o'clock, uh, I was then able to launch my own business on the 17th of June at six o'clock. Um, so literally straight out there and I was lucky enough that two people have given me, they knew, because they were personal friends I dare say, they, they knew that I was going on my own, uh, they were looking to sell, they were happy, um, they weren't introduced to me as part of my previous employed role but they had picked up on the fact that things were changing, they'd been recommended my way and I was going on my own. So in that three week period we kind of did all the necessaries to pr get them ready, so photograph them and get the video tour done and pr you know, produce the details in readiness. Uh, so when I launched on the 8th, uh, 17th, sorry, we had two properties to go straight live. And the first thing I did was dash out and do a couple of Facebook lives at about half past six, uh, promoting these properties from outside the house. So again, it was kind of that sort of, I suppose, that transition from what people had been seeing and become used to for so long. And then all of a sudden there was a colour change and it was the same person, but it was a different thing. Um, and, and bizarrely, people have gone into it and said, oh, I didn't realise new fellow had changed the colour of their boards. Uh, it's like, well, it's really, really bizarre that people would look at it that way and think that. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, the first four weeks were fantastic, and I, I'm you know, forever grateful for those people who gave me those opportunities in the first instance. I'm actually looking at a house across the road, which I was lucky enough to sell for a family as well, who had owned it since brand new in 1957. Um, wow! And, and to sell it, he'd gone into care, so I was dealing with the sons. Um, it was. It, the support out people was just off the scale and, and you know you get four weeks down the line i can't remember the exact numbers four weeks down the line but i would think we were probably on our eighth listing and probably five or six of them were sold to its contracts the pipeline was building there was valuations coming in and opportunities uh, but i was still working hard on the community stuff you know i was still making sure because 
you could let that plate fall off the, the spinny thing. And it's so easy to do, and it's so easy to do, Tony. But this is the thing, and this is this is one thing that I admire because I know how difficult that spinning of plates can be. Because when it is that you're getting loads of leads in, you're having loads of conversations, you're out valuing every day, you've got viewings, you've got you know offers coming in, feedback you need to chase, you know people that you've not managed to get hold of yet. Like you're doing so much, it can almost be super easy to stop doing what got you there in the first place. Because if you don't deal with that inquiry, or if you don't submit that offer, you're in big trouble. If you don't do that video that you're planning to do, no one's going to shout at you. No one's going to wrap your knuckles. You're not going to be told off or, or anything like that. So it's very easy yeah. to let yourself down with the, with, with, with the stuff that got you there in the first place. How difficult is it to prioritize your workload and keep feeding the funnel whilst you're you know, keeping your business flowing and you're doing the hard work or the operational stuff that's necessary? Have you yeah. got a nice little rhythm with that now where you've managed to structure your week or is it still something that you, you, you find is quite the challenge? I think the big, I think the biggest difference is now people organically come my way to ask if they can have something done. So I don't probably have to spend so much time sowing seeds and going out there trying to find people, victims, if you like, to go on this thing. <laughs> it will naturally now come your way, or they know somebody you've done it for before. I suppose it's a little bit like touting, bizarrely. You know, you kind of put more groundwork in, and eventually those seeds start to show through, don't they? And they become a harvest. And I guess this is. I suppose a, a, a roundabout way of doing that you kind of then work hard on getting those people to do them in the first instance people then get in touch or, or the, somebody else who's had one done and know somebody else who's a business owner get in touch but above and beyond all that the, the network of people it's exposed me to and brought me into contact with who i never probably would have known of before businesses i never would have known of before in my local vicinity it just kind of all goes nicely full package when you start then being the agent who knows there is somebody in our town who can take a three-seater sofa that you've got in your lounge right now, Ben, and turn it into a four-seater sofa if you want them to, you know, or, or reduce it down from a four-seater to a two-seater. You know, there's people like that with that skill in, in our town that I never knew existed. Um, and I think that's the beauty of doing this as well. Is that, and, and they become not indebted, but they become very, very grateful for what you've done. They become friends and they become the sort of people then who, again, sing your praises and back your corner and promote what you're doing. Um, that, yeah, that's it there Tony that, that, that little bit sorry to interrupt but you sort of mentioned there that oh we did some lockdown content and the videos are a bit long it wasn't succinct I'm not sure how digestible it was the views weren't always great it, irrelevant like the, the fact that you've spent an hour with that person it's planted a seed in their mind of oh what a nice guy that he was he gave me an hour of his time I really appreciate that and even if not a single person watches that video they still know that you've invested into that relationship so the next time they're flogging candles on Grantham Market or whatever their job is, and they overhear someone in the queue saying, bloody hell, I can't sell this house for love and money. The first thing they're going to say is, you need to speak to my mate's owner, and, and that is so powerful. Yeah, really powerful. And I think we've, we've certainly seen the fruits of that, I think, over the last... I've now been operational, I think, for actually just 20 months the other day. So, um, you know, it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a ride, without a doubt. And But a lot of the business, and it was always the, the plan, that the, the strategy written down on that pad all those years ago when I was still employed was about having a business built upon recommendation, a business which was, I suppose, able to turn itself with more opportunities because you've done a good job. That's easier said than done. Everybody wants to deliver a quality service, but time is usually their biggest problem. And, and when you've got a business which is based upon volume because you've got massive overheads wrapped around your neck every month, you can't invest time um, because there are other pressing matters to do. So for me, it was kind of getting that right balance. That's where EXP came into the world really, in my mind, as being the perfect solution. You know, I'd looked at um, perhaps setting up some time ago, but you know, to have an high street branch and God knows what else, you probably would have needed 120 grand 
to get through six months maybe um, and and in my mind there was no guarantee of success and I never had that sort of money the family certainly doesn't um, so it never would have been mine it would have been in bed with somebody else so this again it sort of removed all that risk element and you know you kind of look at the exp model from the outside this is not a sales pitch whatsoever you look at the exp model from the outside and you sometimes think sounds a bit too good to be true you know, where is the catch where is the hitch but the reality is living it breathing it having done now for 20 months in fact I'll, actually no i've been living and breathing it really for three and a bit years because i've been looking at what's been going on for such a long time with people like yourself and as i mentioned before joe ben and scott and others Liliana. um you kind of see these people making great ways in life and you're thinking well what do i do stay in my comfort zone as you mentioned before which is nice and easy or, or perhaps just step out of it slightly and see what could be done because i could i could live with the regret of having a go and failing i just couldn't live with the regret of not having a go couldn't agree more mate i say this all the time to the point where anyone who's listened to the podcast for any length of time would have heard me say it a hundred times but one day you will look back and it's always better to you know fear regret more than failure you know you, you don't want to look back and think what if um and and that is the the, the most difficult question that you can ask yourself uh, when the time comes but i just want to sort of like i guess before we wrap up on the conversation tony just kind of i asked you about your first four weeks there and you know you had two listings to go on the market within an hour of leaving your previous job you had you know close to two handfuls of listings at the end of your first month like it feels very much like highlight reel amazing look at this commission look how well tony's doing but it's worth pointing out it took you eight years to be that overnight success like eight years mm. of doing videos that no one watched asking people to interview with who maybe didn't want to be interviewed you know plugging the doors doing the tours getting on you know coming out of your own comfort zones dealing with the crap and the odd comment that you got on facebook it took eight years of that consistency to go ahead and build what you've built and now benefit from, I'll, I'll say as it is, the money that you're making. Um, and I think there's a lesson there that anything worth having doesn't always come instantly. And I think for anyone else out there, and I've kind of been, a, I won't say loggerheads, but I've definitely had a difference of opinion with Chris Watkin before in the past who you mentioned you know, a few minutes ago, Tony. You know, I think personally, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, I think if someone's at a point where they're in the right mindset, they're in the right point in their life. They've got the ambition, the, the, the fire in the belly to go and build a business. I feel like, you know, fail forward with it, knock on the doors, go your door, door knocking, do your touting. Might build slower than what you did, Tony, because they're starting from the traps rather than coming out swinging, but they can kind of move forward and build a brand as a document in the process. But if you're not, if you're still a year or two or three or four or five or 10 years away from being in a position where you are going to go ahead and launch your business, be that with EXP or anywhere else, I think that your story and the blueprint that you formed over that seven, eight year period is an example of what every agent should be doing out there. To kind of, I know it sounds yeah. quite cliche, but quite frankly, doing what others want today, so in the future you can have what others can't, and 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 you're a glowing real life example of exactly that, mate. So so massive props to you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I, I've never, like I said, never been asked to do anything like that or anything like you know. And this is all a little bit alien as well because you know there's people like yourself want to have a chat. There's people like Scott who we chatted with you, but you know, the XP family and culture is fantastic uh, and i find myself at exp events now and everybody wants to speak to you it's really bizarre because you know in my mind i'm the least salesy estate agent there is out there and just just i suppose hard working nothing more than that it's not like you're 
I don't know. It's a bizarre. It's a bizarre thing. But if you if you really want to work, you know, our family's never been in a better spot. Um, I always say this really, and this has been said on a couple of occasions. But whilst we're employed, and my wife had a little cleaning business, which turned over, you know, okay, sum of money, but not a lot. Um, if we wanted to save a thousand quid a year as a family, it would have been nigh impossible. You throw into that interest rate rises, inflation, energy bills. I think it would be properly screwed right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's in a position now where we had a leaky bathroom, uh, the pipe work was all shot, and it needed to be fully ripped out and changed. And we were able to do that without taking it on credit cards or debt or loans or borrowing the money from family or whatever else it might be. You know, a position in life I'd, I just only could ever dream of. And, and for me, the building of this was always actually about the out, you know, the, the exit, if you like, at the other end, uh, personally, but also, I suppose, for the family. So I'd like to build something that when my daughter's 20, 21, 22, she can come into and work with if she wants to, doesn't have to, um, but something that perhaps gives them that same opportunity to build something for their own families when I'm long gone. Um, you know, so yeah, it's it, it really it's, it's it's bizarre how this has all come about. Really, I just can't believe that EXP gives you what it gives you for as little as it costs. Um, you know, I think Aaron mentioned about capping and stuff, but if you break that down to twenty four grand and split it over the twelve months, it's two grand a month. Where are you going to get right move, Zoopla, CRM, Money Penny? Got it, everything for two grand a month, and you only pay it if you're successful. You know, there's no paying it whether you're not successful. So it's a remarkable model. And uh, fair play to guys like you, and I've mentioned Scott and Liana and Mark Bentley and the rest of them for sort of following pathways. But you've only got look at the calibre of people coming in, the calibre of people leaving where they've been very successful. Um, it, it, it's quite remarkable. I think it's quite revolutionary. I think in, in the next five years, it'll be really interesting to see just how EXP evolves and develops. It's exciting. And, you know, from you mentioned before, you kind of watched EXP from the inception in, in November 19. You know, at that point, it was 18,000 agents, mainly in America, zero pretty much in the UK. And, you know, we're only a few years on now. It's it's no time at all, really. And we're getting close to 100,000 agents across the planet. We're in 23 countries now, you know, with three, well, getting on for 400 agents actually at the time I was having this conversation in the UK alone. And that kind of compounding growth doesn't happen by accident. It's built on success. And I think that's the key. It's speaking specifically for the UK market now that we're so productive because of agents like you, Tony, that that, that have kind of come in. I know, I know that you had personal circumstances and you pondered for a little bit, but you came in when it was right for you and your family to do so. You've set the world on fire. You're setting a great precedent, not just in Grantham, but for agents all over the country. And it's that kind of success that attracts other like-minded people. Off the back of this podcast, people message me to speak about EXP. They might message you now to speak about EXP. And that's empowering another individual to follow suit and follow the blueprint that we've made for ourselves which then breeds more success, yeah. more life changed, more families' futures shaped for the better, which then brings in the next wave of agents. And the reason why we're doubling every 12 to 18 months is because success attracts success. And, and that for me is, is, is more liberating and powerful, not just for us personally and selfishly, but that's powerful for the industry. Because I just think, mate, that I don't want to blow too much smoke up your backside, but if every agent works with your mindset, your ethic, your output, your belief of doing the right thing, the perception of agents to the everyday consumer would be completely different to maybe what it is in the main at the moment. And once consumers start to look at agents less as snake oil salesmen people and more as uh, champions of the community, people that are adding real value, that's when 
you know, the tide starts to rise, standards get better, marketing gets better, reputations get better, fees get better. And all of a sudden, we're all making more money. There's more money to reinvest. And that's just better for everyone, whether you're EXP, whether you're, you know, a high street agent, a franchise, whether you're a different self-employed model, whether you work for yourself, you know, completely independently. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think that we're, dare I say it, stepping in the right direction to really, truly turn the tide. It's no longer half a dozen people with a dream on a bit of paper. There's now 400 people people out there making serious money and building serious futures i think you've hit the nail on my head i mean i for me it was never about raising the standard as such i think it was about setting a standard and then maintaining that and, and trying to develop and build upon it as well because i think generally speaking the standard across the board is pretty average so you know i'm sick and tired of seeing 200 400 000 pound houses with photographs taken on an iphone you know it's a big thing we're selling here you know it's fine if we're down the pub having a beer and we want to take a picture of what we're drinking or something we're eating but i think from a point of view of marketing so i set out really and one of the first things i wrote on my pad was to try and to develop i suppose the knight frank savills fine and country but for the everyday man or the everyday family um so you know that standard doesn't slip that's what it is um and every property whether it's a 90 grand apartment or a million pound house and everything in between it's professionally photographed but also I recognised as a you know, family man in Grantham. So I then specifically wanted to target where I could the Grantham family who's upsizing from the small house that's done for the last 10 years or they've done the family home for 20 years, want a bungalow now. And I can't, you know, that kind of links everything quite nicely in together. Um, so that's kind of what my vision looked like from the outset. And um, we're now 150 something listings in, I think, and 104 completions and 20 properties on the market and some in pre-market situation. We've had a couple of withdrawals there've been circumstantial change where people have decided not to move um, and and so far touch wood 20 months in we've not lost one to another agent but i know full well yes. my stock is being touted by other agents every single of course day. it is of course uh, it is of course it is but not one to the to the attraction of another agent who's flirting with them i think it's you know testament as well i think it, it sort of shows that what we're trying to do is is probably working hundred percent, and and that's you know, it's a reality. People will tout the stock, and I, I don't I don't mind people touting the stock. I always think that if someone sends my seller a letter or knocks on the door, and they see value in what someone else is doing, or I've not kept up the promises that I said I would, or I've not maintained a strong enough relationship. Like that agent's trying to feed their kids as well. Like good luck to you. That's on me if I lose it. And I think sometimes we need to reframe kind of our relationship with that. Do you mind me asking, Tony? What's and I know that you, you you don't particularly niche yourself into you know the multi-million pound properties. You just mentioned there that you want to offer it an incredible level of service for the everyday seller, irrespective of price and value. What's your average fee, if you don't mind me asking? In pound notes or well, in percentage terms, uh, last year it was one and a half percent. This year it's one point six five because the cost of running the business has gone up and the cost of living has gone up. Um, but in terms of pound notes, that equates to just under five thousand pounds. Just under five thousand pounds at the minute, and you've done a hundred completions. So I'm not going to ask you to share a bank statement, but guys, read between the lines of, of how Tony's life has changed over the last, well, recent years. Mate, it's absolutely last incredible. Year, last, year was, last year was five. The first year was about three thousand seven hundred, uh, due to uh, invariably the price point of the house I was attracting being lower as a new startup business, and then as the yeah. market sinks in. The average asking price shot up from there, and that, of course, then resulted in higher fees. Well, still though, you're still paying your gas bill, right? <laughs> just about, just about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tony, so, right, that, 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 
yeah, for me, for me, like I said, this was all about the out. So investment into pensions and, and you know, a, a future, I suppose, for me and the wife is, is very, very important. She, the wife now works with me as a director within the business as well. Um, so she's out now doing viewings whilst we're having this chat. Uh, and I think, again, it's about putting the right people in the right places. So the professional photographer is part of the team, although he's not employed. The sales progressor, part of the team, but not employed. Uh, I work with a phenomenal conveyancer locally, who, again, is part of the team, but she's employed by a conveyancing company couple of fantastic mortgage advisors who work for themselves. So for me, you know, putting the best players into the best positions was a really key part of making sure that what I see as a vision could then be executed properly. Yeah, and that, that, that's the beauty of this, mate. And again, this isn't any XP sales pitch, so I'm not laying it on too thick, but just having the autonomy of being able to build your own team, choose your own people. I love this conveyancer, not keen on them. Had a great experience with this mortgage advisor, not too sure about that one. Being able to slot the right people in the right places, give your clients the best service, but have an altogether more streamlined business is incredible without necessarily having to take on hundreds of thousands of pounds a year in salaries and outgoings and commissions and whatnot. I think for me, it's always about making sure that it, if it enhances the client journey, that's kind of like the motto, really. If it enhances the client journey, then I'm prepared to talk to somebody. If it doesn't, I'm not interested. And and I think the motto I live by day to day is just doing the right thing at the right time. I think if you can do that generally and, and not think about the pound notes, but think about what is the right thing for the client who's trusted in you at that moment in time, it's not always an easy decision to make and it's not always a straightforward decision to make, but it's a tough conversation sometimes. It's the right thing to do everything else looks after itself. I think the, the, the money aspect then takes care of itself. Mate, and there's no sounder note to summarise the podcast and the conversation, Tony. So, mate, I just want to say thank you once again for taking the time to jump on. I know you're a very busy guy and you've got lots of plates spinning. So I appreciate you taking an hour out of your morning and uh, looking forward to sharing this with everyone else. Absolute pleasure, Ben. Thank you for having me. Real, real pleasure. Keep well. Speak to you soon, Tony. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.